Good evening, good evening, good evening. I am Chris Gardner of the Houston Round Bar Review. Welcome to a, an edition of Folks Talking Sports. And looks like it worked. So I'm solo for a few moments. Life has interceded for a few of us. It's how it is here a couple of days before Christmas. Uh, one colleague, Willie Gibson, is under the weather with, uh, I think he said, sinus headache. Um, James Mueller was in the airport trying to get to his destination with his family. Flight delays, baggage claim delays. So he probably won't be able to make it with us this evening. Andy Yanez hopefully will join in a few minutes. He's taking care of some work. And Chris Baldwin is slated to join at 7.30 at the bottom of the hour. So I'm going to fly solo for, for a bit here for a few more minutes until Andy and Chris join. But as always, and I think it worked, I tried Folks Talking Sports is streaming on the YouTube channel of Houston Round Ball Review on Facebook and this evening for the first time on the Folks Talking Sports Twitter account. So trying something different there, branching out for folks to talk to reach different audiences. So there's different people follow us on different platforms. And a quick story, just want to say this, courtesy of Chris Baldwin, told us that uh, one of the Sassers, Marcus Sasser's dad, watches Folks Talking Sports. Well, we knew that because he tweeted uh, to us a few times, about a month ago, roughly, that Mr. Sasser gets a lot of his information about UH via FTS. But at Saturday's game in Fort Worth at Dickey's Arena, Chris Baldwin was there for the U of H Oklahoma State game. And Mr. Sasser came up to Chris and said, I saw you on Folk Talking Sports. So how cool is that? So, yes, we do have an audience. Audience is growing. And like I said, for the first time, the show hopefully is streaming on the Folks Talk Sports Twitter account, because that's what it is. Folks Talk Sports. The show is Folks Talking Sports. But, yes, if you are watching us on Twitter, give a shout out there and hopefully Andy will be able to do his magic on there and add some work on later on, spicing segments and, and things like that to the, to the Twitter account. But it's a new era as we close out 2021. I'm doing it solo right now. Like I said a few moments ago, Willie Gibson is under the weather. Sinuses, it's, it's nothing COVID-related. And I'm not sure if you can tell, but maybe you can tell. I'm getting over a cold, so I'm kind of stuffed up. So I'm getting through that as well. So... Such is life. Fortunately, it's not COVID. So that's, hey, I'm thankful for that. I did a good deed a few days ago in the rain, changing the flat tire, and I wasn't really dressed for it. <laughs> so that kind of caught up with me. So, but that's all right. Going to talk, the plan was to talk some football in tonight's show. U of H Cougars football team against Auburn Tigers on December 28th. So I'm going to get into that. And since I'm solo right now, as you can see, the show is Folks Talking Sports is sponsored by the Saxinian family. Steve Saxinian, bless him for his support of Folks Talking Sports, as well as the Houston Round Bar Review. He's done it for a few years now, and hopefully he'll continue doing that going forward. But this segment, this Houston Cougars segment, is made possible by the Saxinian family. 11 a.m., Tuesday morning, December 28th. The 11-2 Houston Cougars football team 
faces the 6-6 six six Auburn Tigers in the Birmingham Bowl. The Cougs have appeared in 14 bowl games in the last 17 seasons, 2005 to the present. That's a mark that ranks second among programs in Texas, the Aggies, at 15. Well, the Aggies are not playing in the Gator Bowl, so I guess that streak will end. Uh, the Cougs' 89 victories since 2011 also rank second among FBS schools in Texas behind the Aggies' 92 victories. Houston has not faced an SEC program since Halloween 2015 when a shutout Vanderbilt 34-0 at TDECU Stadium. Since 1999, the Cougs are 5-4 against the SEC, including wins against LSU in 99, Mississippi State in 2003, 2005, and 2009, and of course Vanderbilt in 2015. Houston is making its 28th bowl appearance. The Cougs' record is 11-15-1 in those bowl games, and they've dropped the last four. My man has joined me, Andy Ines. We're going to talk about that right there. Andy, I didn't realize that, man, that the football team has lost the last four bowl games, four, four bowl appearances. Yeah, I think uh, the last time they won was the uh, Peach Bowl against Florida State 2015. Yeah. And lo and behold, man, who would have thought that that game ended Florida State's reign right there? That that was the end of the Seminoles' reign. It was the end of the Seminoles' reign, and it was the peak of Houston at the same time. <laughs> it, it sure was, man. Uh, who would have thought that uh, New, New Year's Eve 2015, everybody was hyped. U of H fans, alums were hyped. I had friends go to the game in, in Atlanta for the Peach Bowl. Great things were on the horizon. Well, it all fell things, apart. Things changed after that, but for the Florida State Seminoles, things cratered after that. U of H won that game 38 24, and really, clearly, were the better team. Fans can say, Well, we didn't really take that game seriously. Not, not, not you that was U of H's fault. So Houston dominated that game, won by 14, probably could have won by even more than that. But my man, Winston, oh, I, I was gonna ask, did James Winston play in that game, or was it? Uh, no, no, I don't think after. no, no, because that was 2015. No, he so he was if he drafted 2015 or 2014, I can't remember. Maybe, I bet he was done. I'm not sure who was the quarterback there, but I know it wasn't Jameis. No, it was not him. So, am I correct, my man? Is is the show streaming on Twitter? It is. I saw it right now. I checked it out, and luckily, I was able to join uh, a few minutes earlier. I thought I was gonna be a little bit later, so it works. It looks perfect. Outstanding. So Mr. Sasser has another way to watch folks talking sports, man. So how cool is that, man? And um, awesome. that looks real good, by the way, just on the timeline. So, yeah. So Chris Ball want to join and Chris will talk some football. I don't know if you heard me earlier when I was solo for a few minutes. Willie Gibson is sick with sinuses and and James oh, no. was that he had planned to arrive at the airport arrive at his destination from the airport, flight got delayed, baggage claim is late. So oh, James won't be able to make it here with us this evening either. So that goes another football uh, angle for the, the Cougs. So I'm going to rely on you and Chris to carry the load about football. But let me read some more info about Auburn, uh, six and six. And let me ask you, man, are you going to the game? The, uh, the bowl game? Yeah. I will not. I will be at Fertitta Center for the conference opener. And that's where I'll be, of course. 
But right. hey, man, you can hop on your jet, man. The football game's at eleven. On my jet, ha. yeah. Oh man, uh, yeah. Uh, actually, they're putting together. I, I, I don't think the attendance for University of Houston is going to be high for that bowl game. Um, just my, uh, yeah, my, yeah, my sense on it. But uh, I know that they're putting together some really good packages for students. I think they they offered a, a forty dollar package. It would have included like a a travel, essentially a travel package. I think the, the bus leaves from. Uh, UH at like five in the morning that day. They travel all the way to to Birmingham. Uh, obviously, they cover the the game expense, the tickets, and then I think they take them back that same day. And I think they had another package where they actually stayed overnight. So, I mean, it's certainly going to take its toll, but honestly, it's pretty good value for like forty or I think it might even be cheaper for the day trip. So, they have some packages, but I, I doubt it'll be. And they, they got a brutal time, too, 11 a.m. on a Tuesday. Yeah, not. on a Tuesday, yes. Yeah, not ideal. And you mentioned that, which, which I didn't know about, but the Alumni Association is having a reception in Birmingham at a, a spot, the kitchen and bar, and also a tailgate. 40 bucks for the tailgate as well at a cantina in Birmingham. So we'll see. I'm kind of curious how many people do show up, student-wise, alums. I mean, the bowl game, 11 o'clock. Uh, the opponent probably doesn't want to be there either. We can talk about Marcus <laughs> Jones deciding to forego, you know, not playing the bowl game and get ready for the NFL. I'm not surprised. What, what were your thoughts on that when he made the decision? No, I wasn't surprised either. Um, it was something that we talked on in our podcast, uh, Dayon and I did. It, honestly, it makes sense. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, there's not much more Marcus Jones has left to prove to put on, you know, for for college specific game tape. I mean, he's done it all, especially this past season where he he literally played every position for Houston uh, offense, defense, special teams. Um, he was phenomenal in, in in all aspects. Really, I think he scored. Uh, he might have scored a touchdown in all phases. I'm not. I think he had a rushing touchdown offense. I don't remember the if he might have returned a, a pick six or something like that, but. Yeah, at this point, there's nothing more he can do to help his stock, and it, I wasn't surprised by it. I think it's the smart decision, especially with with the turnaround. I'm pretty sure he's going to play in the Senior Bowl in a few weeks, so I think he made the best decision for himself. So, just a little bit on inside info on the the uh, series U of H football versus Auburn. Auburn leads the all-time series five-one. Tuesday's game will mark the first matchup between the two teams since. 1973. Yeah, you were nowhere around. I was one year old and some change. So, wow. Two of Houston's longest plays in program history came against Auburn. Hmm. Joe Lepaski's 82-yard punt return touchdown happened September 21st, 1963. Is the second longest punt return in U of H program history. And Paul Sweden's 89-yard interception return touchdown happened October 26, 1957. Is the sixth longest interception return all time. Here's a stat. I doubt this will happen Tuesday, but Houston held Auburn to one rushing yard in the cool. 1969 Blue Bonnet Bowl. The fewest allowed by the Cougs in bowl history. Cougs won that game 36-7 on New Year's Eve 1969. And that game was a lone, previously, lone bowl matchup between the two teams. 
J-Rod Sniper, what's up? We're talking football. So are the Rockets at halftime, the Pacers? I'll be talking Rockets on Sunday. Uh, it's 56-51 Pacers. Jalen Green, his first start in about a month. Four for six from three. 0 for two from two. But he's doing, he's uh, fitting in nicely. 12 points in the game for the Rockets. Crystal Wood with 15 points. Halftime, Indiana, 63, Rockets, 58. A little bit I saw before getting on here. The Rockets' defense wasn't very, with, was awful. They've really gone backwards defensively the last few games. I'm not sure what, what the reason is for that, but they got to correct that. But I got you here, man. We're going to have, we're going to have class. A few moments <laughs> with some slides. I got one about the U.S. We're a little different this time. But I want to talk about this because, as far as I know, Michael Resco and the AAC have not changed yet. But changed the policy regarding forfeiting uh, because of COVID nineteen and not having enough players, student athletes, student assets to compete in basketball. Well, let's see. As of yesterday, the ACC, the Big East, the Big West. Mountain West and the SEC all announced changes or modifications to their COVID-19 rescheduling policy. And the press releases were almost cookie cutter. So here we go. Basically, I'll read this and it's pretty much the same thing for these five conferences so far. The decision the Atlantic Coast Conference announced Wednesday that it has modified its 2021-22 COVID-19 rescheduling policy. The decision was unanimously supported. You know, all that kind of stuff. They're not going to say anything different. If possible, games that cannot be played as scheduled will be rescheduled. If a game cannot be played and cannot be rescheduled, it will be considered a no contest. Beforehand, it was a forfeit. The irony is, I'm going to the Big East info because Big East was they they have really changed their tune because in men's basketball they had four games that were forfeited but the Big East said no we're going to backtrack on that so let me go here the Big East Conference announced a modification to its game cancellation policy for men's and women's hoops under the modified policy a conference game will be canceled in the event a school has fewer than seven scholarship players and one countable coach available for a game. The Big East Conference office will attempt to reschedule any such games in accordance with parameters approved by Big East directors of athletics. In the event the rescheduling parameters cannot be fulfilled, the canceled game will be designated as a no contest. To date, four Big East men's conference games had been designated as forfeitures under the previous COVID-19 game cancellation policy. The forfeiture classification will be removed from these games and efforts are now underway to reschedule them at a later date. No women's games to date have been designated as forfeitures. Michael Resco has said as of yesterday, and I think today because I haven't seen anything today, they're sticking with it. If a team does not have enough players, it's a forfeit. Andy, come on, man. 
he's 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 got to change that. <laughs> he's got to change that. I I just there's just no way in the world he have more and more conferences announce a modification to their policy that Michael Resco is going to stick to his guns, despite most of the teams. The reason for this modification is because of Omicron. Almost yeah. every school and the players are vaccinated, and t- players are trickling trickling in getting the booster. But Omicron, the variant has changed things. So that's changed things. The AAC should change things too. I mean, can you imagine Memphis, Wichita State, Houston, Cincinnati having to forfeit games because they don't have enough players rather than just declaring a no contest and rescheduling later on? Come on. What do you think? No, yeah, I absolutely agree. And like you said, a lot of it has to do with Omicron. It's completely changed the uh... – kind of, I wouldn't say landscape, but kind of the way that, that it's kind of put in a different perspective of where the pandemic is. I know uh, when those rules first put it, were put in place, it, it kind of served more as an incentive to get teams to uh, get their players to be get vaccinated and, and get that uh, vaccination rate up high. And in theory and practice, what I'd envision a lot of these conferences were, were hoping would have happened is if they can get enough players vaccinated where they don't have to worry about um, what has happened with COVID running rampant throughout the country. Now that it seems like this Omicron variant, it doesn't matter if you're vaccinated. Even I mean, I think even if you're boosted, there's still a lot of people testing positive for, for the Omicron now. There's speculation whether it's less severe or not to get too much into the into the weeds of whatever the variant is doing. But I think this is what Kevin Sampson said during uh, during his availability earlier in the week. It's it's an evolving process, and you got to change with whatever happens with the virus. And it certainly has changed the past month, especially here in in the United States and, and the sports world. I mean, kind of crazy when you think about how many players in the NBA, NFL, even NHL, NHL, who I think they they paused after uh, Tuesday with their contest, where it, it's spreading rapidly. Now right. you got to, and if that it, it kind of Imagine the microcosm of in the sports world, how many people and just regular people must be spreading it throughout the country. So it's certainly something where it should be re- reevaluated, especially if you have like a school. Uh, yeah, Kelvin Sampson, for example, he said that his team is 100% vaccinated and he said that uh, all his players will have their booster shots by January 1st. Yep. Um, if you still have players testing positive, I mean, at that point, it's not really much anything different Houston could have done. It's, it's the virus that keeps mutating and you have to update those policies with as the science keeps uh, changing. And as the science keeps changing, I, Commissioner Resco, he, he's got to be changing this. He has to. I, I just, <clears throat> he's not a dumb man. We have, you and I have accused him of being stubborn, sticking with power six. Oh, he is. <laughs> you know, for, for, that, for that label, he's been pushing that for forever now. He shouldn't be stubborn on this. You know, modify the policy, declare games and no contest, and just try to reschedule at some point during the season. And, and then if it can be rescheduled, then then you can do, you know, d- declare no contest because it won't impact the teams for the tournament selection committee. The committee has already said that if a team is unable to play because of COVID, It'll be a no contest in their eyes, and it'll be like the game never happened. So it won't be a forfeit as far as the committee is concerned. So, you know, the issue like the Memphis-Tennessee game on Saturday that was canceled because Memphis did not have enough healthy players, 
the committee will look at that as basically Memphis scheduled Tennessee. So they'll get some consideration. Well, they at least they scheduled tough non-conference. Other than that, they don't they never happen. So beyond that, that's that's where that goes. Going to lean into this. Go ahead. No, I was going to say it's interesting because you look at the, the college football playoff. I think they released their kind of COVID-19 policies literally just yesterday. And they they went through a whole bunch of scenarios where they're, it's possible uh, based on the guidelines they sent out yesterday where uh, this year could or 2022, there could be uh, no decision for a national championship in college football. Um, depending on the COVID situation, I know Alabama had news um, yesterday as well, I think they had uh, Bill O'Brien and a couple of other coaches test positive for the virus. So, if what a story that would be if for whatever reason Alabama can't um, field the team and you have in a perfect world that Cincinnati doesn't have enough players, they would be able to advance to the finals based on the forfeitures. Or if for whatever reason the championship game comes and both teams can't field the team, then it's declared a no contest. I think it, it's certainly a sign of uh, how quickly things have changed and really in a matter of weeks. It's a sign of, of where we are, but the cynic in me says, come on now. <clears throat> if Alabama doesn't have an, enough players some way, somehow, well, they, you know, we, we could find be a way to postpone it. Yeah, yeah let's, <laughs> let's postpone it for how many guys do they need? How many days? Okay, about four days. We'll push it back. Yeah, no chance in Cincinnati go. So, I mean, because Alabama, Coach Saban, I think the, the players have been vaccinated and almost, you know, are getting booster shots. And I think Michigan doing the same thing. I haven't heard anything about Cincinnati, but I think Coach Cooker will as well. I'm not sure about all that. You know, want to toss it out there. But, yeah, the CFP committee said if you don't have enough players, it, will, it could be declared a forfeiture. Wow. For college football playoff, for a team advances because their opponent doesn't have enough healthy players. Okay. Sign of the times. I believe it if, when, if it if when it happens. But, yeah, the sign of the times, and that's where we are. I, that would be a real crappy way to advance. And, you know, you could say, well, it was their fault for not getting doing their part. Getting all that kind of well, stuff. That's, but that's the point. But, yeah, but, I mean, but they you're are. at a point now. Yeah, you're yeah. at a point where you could be boosted and you still get the virus. And I mean, what what more else could you have done? Uh, so, so yeah, I, and I it think, just goes back why we we feel like uh, the American Athletic Conference should uh, should change their policies, especially if you have like a team with a ninety percent vaccine rate and they're still testing positive. I mean, there's a point where you can't really blame the players. It's just something that's out of their control, to be honest. Terry, thank you as well. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Andy, Terry's in New Zealand, man. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've, Merry Christmas from uh, the other side of the world. That's... So, yeah, he, he participates in the, in the uh, Rockets, Let's Talk Rockets. I guess uh, he's already, uh, it's Christmas Eve for him already. So, yeah. Of the world, so, Merry Christmas Eve. So, like I said, man, Houston Round Bar View, local name, global perspective. So, there's, there's more proof of it right there. But, yep, reminder. Rocket fans, our, our next hour, you and me, Rocket fans, um, we'll be having a, the next the next Let's Talk Houston Rockets will be Sunday, December 26th at, I think I said 8 p.m. Central, to talk about that. After today's game, Rockets will be off for a few days, thank goodness, because I need a break as well. Man, let's talk about U of H men's basketball. 
the banged up U of H men's basketball team is eleven and two. Injured, Jamon Mark had successful shoulder surgery Wednesday. He'll be out for the rest of the season. Tazia Moore sick, hasn't played in what the last two games for sure, two or three games. I think it's been about a week, yeah. So hopefully he'll play, be able to play in the conference opener on Tuesday versus Cincinnati. Kyler Edwards sprained his ankle Wednesday against Texas State. Marcus Sasser has turf toe and ankle sprain. Juwan Roberts had a nasty fall against Oklahoma State, banged his hip. And you can see him dealing with that in the game against Texas State. Reggie Chaney is playing through pain, basically do a busted knuckle on his left hand. Ramon Walker is back from surgery on his hand and a detached tendon on his right hand, shooting hand. Jamal Shedd sprained his right ankle because Kyler did his left ankle. Jamal did his right ankle early in the game Wednesday. Andy, and they're 11-2. If they could stay healthy. Yeah, both of those losses came down to the last possession, too, where they had a they had actually they had the ball in the last possession. They had a chance to to want to run out the court with a win. Um, and one of them, if you ask the well, at least after the moment, Houston felt that they should have won. So it's impressive what they've been able to do, but yeah, uh, if you're kind of uh, for the superstition folks, man, Houston's been kind of cursed this season. Like almost every every game, there's something that comes up because even last night, Jamal Shed first 90 seconds of the game tweaks his ankle as well. Yeah. Uh, he was able to come back, but I mean, it's absurd. You look you look at their bench. I mean, there, there's a point where there's only I think they had uh, Ryan Elvin and uh, Robbie Armbrester and a couple of other players that that. Uh, are suited up, but Kelvin Sampson's not going to go to them down the stretch uh, in a perfect world. There's going to be a point where I think he said uh, earlier in the week where he has five players. He only need five players to play, but there might be a point where they only have five. Uh, he'll be looking like uh, the women's basketball team a couple of seasons ago when they had all the injuries and red shirts. Man, that's absurd. You know, it's just right now one of those seasons where injuries have hit the team. Hopefully it won't last because, and give me your thoughts on this. With Josh Carlton in the post, he's their best low post scoring threat, I think, since Coach Sampson took over the program. He, his presence, he can, he commands double teams. I agree, yeah. And if, if teams double him, Josh can just kick it out to Marcus Sasser. Kyler Edwards, Fabian White, who's a Ramon Walker showed him he has a Ramon Walker finally knocked down three. Jamal Shedd is up to 40% from three. And then you got Marcus Sasser, who has a shaking bake to his game. Jamal Shedd has played very well so far. He still had some moments where foul trouble, bad fouls. But this team has pieces, has potential. They just got to get healthy. And if they can get healthy, who knows what could happen? But I'm not sure if they'll ever get healthy and stay healthy. But Josh Carlton feasted last night, 20 points, and probably could add more, you know, if Coach Sampson wanted to. But the team, this team is balanced inside, outside, 
and the one constant, that defense is just rock solid. For sure. I, I think uh, it's hard to call this silver lining because it, it's both good and bad. But if you look at all the – or at least the majority of the injuries, it's not something that – I mean, most of the players have been able to play through it. Now, that that's good that they're on the court. But you know, the other thing is, you know, is it something that they have to deal with it throughout the entire season? And it won't get better until the end of the season. That That's – that's going to be something that's going to be interesting. And I'm sure they're, they're happy. They're going to have these six days off between uh, last night, uh, the non-conference finale and next Tuesday when they have to host Cincinnati in the conference opener. But uh, I mean, yeah, it's ridiculous. I had Kelvin Sampson said he hasn't been able to practice when he practiced and, and what he said feels like a long time where he hasn't felt where the team has been able to get better through a practice. They don't have the bodies available to practice. Yep. Can't go five on five. They will, they're off today, Christmas Eve. They'll have practice uh, Christmas night, I think 6 o'clock, something like that. So no games between, you know, now and the 28th. Kind of rest the, the, the uh, aches and pains. Marcus Sasser doesn't really practice. Rest his turf toe. Uh, you know, maybe they'll like a little walk through the day before. Juwan Roberts probably is not practicing. I'm kind of curious – if Kyler Edwards was able to, because Coach Sampson mentioned that some of the guys were going to go home, drive home, you know, who live in, within the state, mm-hmm. was Kyler's ankle injury, you know, sprain, would it be okay to drive, you know, <laughs> go, you know, go back to the, the, the DFW area. So I don't know about, you know, that. So it's just one of those things right now. And like I said, Ramon Mark is out for the season, but Ramon Walker, is filling his spot. Two different kind of players. Tremont is more of a facilitator. Ramon is a shooter and fine knockdown threes. And I think as his hand heals more, I think his outside shot will fall more on a consistent basis. I think Ramon's bigger. He looks bigger than Tremont uh, Mark. Ramon likes to take charges. Apparently, he's he's brought into the culture quickly. And I, I'm gonna. I'm. I'm happy to say, Tremont and Ramon, the last two winners of the, of the Gavi Lewis Award. I'm on the committee to do that. Hopefully, if anybody on the committee is watching. I'm gonna start prodding y'all. It's time for us to put a list together, a watch list for 2022 award. So get ready for that. I'm gonna start sticking y'all come Monday. We gotta get a list ready and put it out there. But yeah, Ramon Walker's playing well. And he, Coach Sam's had a great line and I think, last night's uh, post-game press conference. People talked about, Coach, Coach, why don't you trust Ramon? And Coach said, I need to have Ramon. Ramon needs to show me that I can trust him. <laughs> That's right. Ramon has to show Coach Sam and the staff that he does enough to warrant staying on the court. You know, just don't want to throw him out there and he has no clue what to do. Ramon has shown he's playing good defense, good rotations. He's smart. Knock down a catch, a catch and shoot three. So U of H, they could be nine deep once they're healthy. Get Tazi Moore back. Ramon Walker could could fill in that rotation. The issue is, and I guess it's going to be Tazi Moore. Is who would be the point guard when Jamal Shedd and Marcus Sasser have to sit? For rest, 
or foul trouble? Who who would it be? Who do you think it would be? Right, that's a tough question. Um, hmm. He's, he probably. That's a real tough question. Exactly. You have to go guard. I guess you. I would say Kyler Edwards, but that's not really his strength. His strength is you know getting open and and shooting the ball. So. I, if I would have to pick right now, I'd have to slide him over to that position. Maybe even Tajay Moore does it when he's uh, pretty healthy. But, yeah, that's, that's a good question. That's, that's certainly uh, going to be a tough question, especially um, if they find themselves in that position. I, I think it would be Tajay Moore. And once they get the ball into the front court, that's, they can, the offense can still run. <clears throat> as long as teams don't press them and do all those kind of things. The lack of a backup point guard should not be too much of an issue. I think Tazek can dribble it up across half court because he can penetrate and break down defenses. He's a willing passer. So that's a plus. Ramon, it's not his game. It's not really Kyler's game. So it it might have to be Tazek by default because, you know, it's not Fabian. It's not Juwan. It's not Josh, it's not Reggie, it's not Robbie Armbrester, it's not Ryan Elvin. So, because that's, I mean, really, last night, the game was a blowout. But once Coach Samson brought in Ryan Elvin, JVA Francis, Robbie Armbrester, Jamal Shedd stayed on the floor because Kyler was hurt. They didn't have another point guard. They didn't have another guard (laughs) to run offense. So, I, and it's got, I guess you want to have everybody bubble wrapped because you don't want anybody else to get hurt. So that could be an issue. I don't want to put it out there, you know, being a pessimist, but just to plan ahead of what if, who would be that other person to bring up the ball and conference play is about to start. Teams are going to scout better. You know, you see, I'll see most of these teams in conference twice. So they might look at you a little differently. So it'll be a challenge. But... Let's have some let's have some, let's, have, let's have class, Andy. Let's have some class. Mm-hmm. Class is in session. All right. <clears throat> let's start with U of H men's hoops. If you have if you've been busy all day doing, you know, community impact newspaper stuff or possible stuff, the U of H men's team is now fourth in the net. They went from five to four uh, as of today games through yesterday, December twenty second. I'm going to pull up the net rankings for the opponents, UH's opponents thus far, and I got to divide it up into quad one, two, three, and four. And then I'm going to do for the women's side. And I do this, but it didn't really hit me until I was putting it together today. Women's basketball doesn't have quads. They don't have quadrants. They just have net groupings. One on 25, 26 to 50. 51 to 100, and then 101 up. So they don't have a quadrant breakdown. I wonder if they'll evolve into that like the fellas. And here he is, Chris Baldwin. Chris Baldwin is ready for class. Chris Baldwin. Chris came to join. He went because he wanted to get talk some more uh, net ranking stuff about men's basketball. <laughs> of course. Chris, how you doing? Can't get enough. Good, good. How are you guys? Doing great. Okay, we're going to do this real quick and then come back to you to talk football about the matchup between the Cougs and Auburn on 
December 28th at 11 o'clock in the morning. Are you going, Chris? I am, no, I'm, I'm not going. Okay. 11 o'clock in the morning. Okay. All right. Here we go with class. All right. Fellas, I can see that. Let me start from, from the beginning. Okay. Everybody read that? Did, did I do a good enough job there? Yeah, it's good. Okay. You see the net rankings. That's, this is the quad one for U of H men's team. The two losses, only two losses U of H has. Alabama, 24 net. And this is this, these net rankings are as of December 22nd, so three yesterday's games. So you see that Wisconsin as a 30 net. Look at the, the four other games there, all conference games. 51 UCF, 56 Cincinnati, 59 Memphis, Wichita State, 64. So those all count right now as quad ones based on either the location of the game. So the Cougs men's team still has chances to get some quad one victories, which is, I think, uh, kind of important because they don't have, you know, it's not the Big 12. It's not a power conference, so you're not going to have a whole bunch of chances to get Q1 victories, but there are four of them right there for U of A. Thoughts on that? Just look at this first slide. Hmm. Uh, well, I guess it's, uh, the main thing that pops out is that both of those losses were Q1 losses. Um, like I said earlier, I, I think it says something that both of those losses came down to the last possession where Houston had a chance to either tie it or, or walk off and win it at the, the very last possession of the game. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I think if you if you look at it, um, you know, U of H is going to have to keep keep winning it and um, not have many stumbles in conference if it wants the the type of seed that you know it obviously is uh, shooting for and is sort of you know built around trying to get. There's not that many uh, with the way the conference is this year. There's not that many you know you can't really stumble that much. Yeah, and just imagine that what Chris said is correct. But imagine wait till you see. On the women's side, oh boy, it's it's eye-opening. But here's quad two, three and zero oh so far. So they got five more games, and those five were conference games. And notice how the comp, the quad is broken down in the ranking in terms of home versus away. So they have five more chances currently for Q two victories. And good old Hofstra. Hofstra's Coach Sampson looked good on that one. Their net ranking continues to improve. I think once they beat, uh, who was it, Arkansas, uh, Hofstra went from around 99 to 80, not a 71. So that is a positive for U of H. Oregon is not. Gets a quad three. Virginia is not. But just what you see right there, what are your thoughts, Chris? Um, yeah, I mean, they definitely, I mean, if you look, cause the net is also their offensive and defensive efficiency. I think that's going to help them. They're going to be high. They should be high in both continuing, you know, throughout the season. So that will booster. Um, but yeah, I mean, even, you know, Alabama's recent, uh, stumbles, you know, that doesn't help them. Right. Um, when you look at, you know, what the committee looks at and Virginia obviously isn't as good as uh, they thought they would be when they, you know, scheduled that game originally. 
Um, so there are some obstacles. Yeah, because Davidson went into Alabama and beat Alabama, and you race didn't. So as Andy said, I think Alabama has not been the same since they beat U of H. They got waxed at Memphis. They lose to Davidson. And I think both of those were double-digit losses. Right, Andy? Uh, I don't remember if the Memphis game was a double. Let me let me double-check real quick. But, no, yeah, I agree. Um, with what I said, like, uh, I don't know if you could – Directly correlated, and yeah, it was a it was a fourteen point loss loss to the Tigers. Um, really, it came on the tail end of when Memphis seemed to be kind of tail spilling. Uh, their season was kind of stumbling a lot after I think they were like in the midst of their losing streak. So, <clears throat> but I don't know if you can directly correlate it to the Houston game. Maybe maybe it just drained Alabama, but they certainly have been struggle struggling a little bit since uh, they beat Houston uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. I th- I think definitely that first Memphis game that, I mean, I, w- I would say, you know, that that Alabama-Houston game was such high intensity and s- so physical that it did, I think it took out something out of both teams for their next game. Um, you know, Houston was able to win. They didn't play as high quality of an opponent. But I will say, I, I do think Alabama's going to rebound and, you know, start looking more like itself, just the talent it has. I don't, I don't think it's going to continue on its current uh, trajectory. Agreed. And and because Alabama's in the SEC, they have many more chances to get quality wins, which would help, should help U of H also. Q3, Virginia is at a 113. Who would have thought that? <laughs> Nobody at Virginia would have thought that. Yeah. But th- there it is. And, you know, Coos 3-0, quad 3, five more games remaining. Our conference games, Temple twice, Tulsa Tulane. Clearly, U of H cannot stumble. I mean, they can, but it would hurt that their their ranking to lose to Temple, Tulsa, or Tulane, even if it is on the road. Andy? Yeah, no, what Chris said earlier, where really they don't even have that many opportunities to get uh, those quote-unquote quality wins even looking at the Q2 uh, rankings, I think there, there was a couple of those schools that were kind of teetering on that uh, edge of becoming a, a falling to a Q3 yep. uh, net rank team too. So I think, yeah, like you said, Virginia and Butler were probably two uh, opponents to the Houston envision <laughs> being much higher in that, in that scale when they first uh, scheduled the, the contest before the season even began. I think – SMU too, especially not looking at the bigger picture with the American Athletic Conference as a whole, they hope that they can uh, get put put to string together a couple of games where they can uh, kind of rise up in the net. But yeah, it, it's kind of tricky because obviously, of course, uh, Calvin Thompson said it yesterday, it's, it's going to be hard to be perfect uh, every game in the season. They have 18 conference games uh, left before uh, the regular season ends. To be perfect through it all, it, it, it'll hurt them if they, they have a slip-up just because of they don't have the opportunities to have as many Q1 and even Q2 games. Which is another benefit of the move to the Big 12. Yeah. Right. It's just like this in <laughs> the Big 12. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, it's sort of interesting that, like, we're worrying about this will be, you know, this year and maybe next year will be the last, you know, two years they have to, wor- you know, worry about, uh, you know, the opponents they're playing because then they'll, you know, have these highly ranked opponents throughout the year. And it yep. won't be an issue. But. 
I wrapped up with with Q4. Four more conference games: ECU, Tulane, and South Florida. South Florida, I guess at one at some point they'll they'll be good again. I'm not sure when it's going to be, but won't be before U of H leaves apparently. But uh, <clears throat> there you go. So that's it. I want to just I'm gonna shift gears because I want to get Chris's thoughts on the health of the men's team and their football. But let me pull up U of H women. Guys, let me just the first part is is real quick. <clears throat> One game against the top <laughs> Baylor lost. And Chris, women's side does not have a quadrant stuff divided in quadrants. No, no Q1, no Q2, nothing like that. Right as of right now. Maybe going forward in the future seasons, they'll do that. So it's just one to 25, 26 to 50. But because of South Florida and UCF, U of H women, they have four chances to get wins over top 50 in the net opponents. So that's a plus. That's a good thing. They need to win at least two of those four. At least. Now, 51 to 100. Look at that. Only got two left. Realize what, where I am, guys. Two games, AAC, then four here. That's a total of six. One to 100. They have, look at this, 101 and higher. This is the first, this is just 101 and 127. Six conference games. Next, they have four more, 151 and up. So 10 conference games. The net ranking of the opponent is 101 and up. So they truly cannot afford to lose probably any of those games. And they have one remaining game against Southeastern Louisiana with a net ranking of 243. So 11 games left. They can afford to lose any of those games. This is another benefit for U of H women's basketball to go to the Big 12 because you're not going to have this many teams in conference play with such awful net rankings in women's hoops. Look at that. Just thoughts on that real quick, and Chris, we're going to talk some men's basketball and football. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's going to be hard for them to, you know, make the tournament without having a, a – a long run in the the conference tournament already. And um, so I think it's more about how they're playing for them at the end of the year than it, than it even is. I mean, obviously you want to get some of these higher, uh, you know, be seeing some of these higher ranked uh, teams in your conference. But I think for them, I mean, unfortunately it's almost already set up that it has to be about how they're playing at the end of the year. Andy. No, absolutely. I agree. Uh, it's, it's a tough road. It's in so many of those, uh, 101 plus teams opponents that they have left uh, kind of going back to what I said with the men it's hard to be you know, 100% off point uh, game game in and game out and they have one slip up it it's sent I mean already they're in an uphill battle something we we talked last night where really 
they probably have to beat uh, both UCF and USF at least once to have a chance to put a resume. And even then, they have to remain perfect with all these uh, 100 and plus net ranked opponents. So it's certainly going to be, honestly, a, a real, real tough challenge. And like Chris said, um, really their best chance of making the NCAA tournament would be just to win the, the American Athletic Conference tournament outright, which is going to be a difficult challenge in itself because you still have uh, those two heavyweights in UCF and, and USF. And even then, they still have to compete against the likes of Tulane and those teams. So it's certainly going to be a difficult challenge. So go ahead, Chris. Oh, I, I, yeah, I think it's a uh, point where there's, they're still almost, you know, trying to establish their, their culture for, for lack of a better word, um, you know, Kelvin Sampson's favorite word. And um, this season is still more about that, I, I think. And, you know, then maybe you're, you know, pushing for next year, the year before you go to the big 12 that you're, you're going to be on, you know, much more solid ground. All right. Chris is new to this, Andy. We might have to, Break it down for my thoughts on the <laughs> women's basketball program. Because let me see if I can pull it up real quick and not lose you guys. Uh, Coach Huey is 95 and 127 overall at U of H. Spanning like, how many seasons? This is his eighth season. They have yet to get to the NCAA tournament. They were close. They were the first in the first four last year. Even, I mean, I think we all agree they do need to win the conference championship to get the automatic berth to the tournament. So it's, it's an uphill road for them. They've played better. They beat, you know, last our last show, they won at Florida State. So they, they went over an ACC school. But the stumbles thus far, this, this non-conference hurt them. The lack of other quality opponents remaining hurts them. So USF, UCF, are probably one, two in the conference. So there's a chance based on how the U of H finishes in the regular season in the conference standings, they may have to play, beat both of those schools again in the conference tournament to get to the NCAA tournament. So it's, it's a daunting task for Coach Huey and, and the players. Not saying it can't be done. So we'll see how it goes with some, you know, good luck on it. They're seven and five. Their net ranking is 69. That's third in the conference right now. 69 behind South Florida and UCF. But they don't have a lot of great chances to get, you know, great wins the rest of the season. So they're going to have to be USF, South Florida, and UCF at least once during conference play and then do it again in the conference tournament. All that without losing, without having a bad loss. In conference play, that's hard to do. Human nature, you, you might stub your toe once or twice because it's hard to go perfect, you know, even for great teams. And this team is not a great team. Let's be clear on that. Mr. Baldwin, yeah. sir, I'm going to get your thoughts on the, the banged-up U of H men's team. Do you think if this is just one of those years were they going to be snake bitten the whole season or with, once they get healthy January that they'll be able to stay healthy for the rest of the season? Um, well, I mean, I, I think, you know, anytime you lose someone like, you know, Tremont for the year who, I mean, arguably might be their most, you know, 
naturally talented player, you know, most natural skill. Um, it, you know, it affects, your, you know, your floor and, and your ceiling, you know, as far as what you can do that year. It doesn't mean you can't um, recalibrate and um, sort of like they did last year, you know, when they lost, uh, you know, Caleb Mills to a transfer. Um, it doesn't mean you kind of come out of that and have a strong season. But I'm not necessarily ready to say this year is just going to be, you know, all to injuries. Because if you look at the, the other, um, you know, Marcus's toe, that should get better, you know, as he gets rest, as the season goes on. It seems like they're really, uh, you know, they are very, you know, resting him in practice a lot. Um, so I'm not, you know, Juwan, um, his ankles are probably going to bother him, you know, most of the year. But they seem to be, you know, using his minutes and, you know, with the rotation and uh, having Fabian and, you know, Josh Carlton, who's really emerged in the last, you know, four or five games, um, really helps him on the front line. So I'm not ready to, you know, write it off as this is just going to be one of those injuries years, but it's definitely going to be a factor, I think. Yeah, Chris, let me get your thoughts on this, because with Josh Carlton down low, <clears throat> the potential for this team to go far in the tournament, I think is there if they can stay healthy because they have an inside and outside game. For sure. I think this is, you know, the first time in a while, uh, you know, maybe even since Kelvin's been here that they're this potentially this strong inside as far as uh, offensively. Um, you know, they've had, you know, some really good uh, defensive centers, you know, rebounding. Um, but Josh, you know, he, gets, he does give them a different dimension. They can play through home on offense, which they haven't been able to really do with a lot of centers. They can pass um, – inside out um so he i mean he you know he can be a you know a major factor and a big time player for them i think you know his importance has only in, increased you know now that you lose someone like tremont and you've had you know other guys who are banged up and uh dealing with issues ask you chris and then andy will we'll, we'll talk football who is behind jamal shit who is the backup point guard uh, it's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I would say, you know, I mean, they's pro they're probably going to stagger, you know, so you want him or Marcus on the floor at, uh, you know, most of the time, because Marcus can obviously, you know, play point as well. Um, so I think there's some of that, some of that involved that, you know, you probably are going to, you know, rest them at different times and, uh, try to have one of them out there when you can. Um, and, you know, then you're just going to have to see, see, you know, sort of what develops. You know, Ramon uh, has, you know, shown some flashes, um, you know, almost more, um, you know, sparked, you know, defensively and, you know, taking charges in the last few games. But he, he I mean, he had, and he's shown flashes, you know, with hitting a few threes and he does have an offensive game. And, you know, he's sort of, you know, still coming back from his injury as well. So, We'll see how he develops as the season goes on. But, I, you know, I'm interested in what you guys think, uh, who the backup will be as well. I think it's going to be Taze Moore in, in, in the sense because he can facilitate. You know, he can break down a defense and he, he's willing to pass. You know, nobody else is like Jamal. Nobody else is like 
Jamal is a true point guard, you know, that old school term. Marcus can run the offense, but I think Taze can, when needed, he can do it. Almost in a pinch. Wouldn't want him to do it for 10 minutes in a, you know, a stretch, but it's got to be really by committee because that's where Tremont Mark being out for the rest of the year, his absence would be felt the most. Is that the backup point guard, that facilitator to rest Marcus and Jamal? Andy? No, like I said, I agree with Tajay Moore, but then also, I guess, out of force of uh, if the need arises, you'd have to kind of slide in Kyler Edwards in there. And like you said, Chris, at least get into the front court or into the back, into the front court where they can uh, run their offense and go from there. And then they could uh, kind of be more flexible and I'd imagine they're probably going to start assuming they can get everyone healthy if that does arise. So they'll kind of change a little bit how they play and start feeding more with uh, playing through Fabian White and Josh Carlton, like you saw last night. Samson set out the, the game plan at Tech, Texas State. So but that's a good question because, like uh, we saw from Chris and, and from we struggled, I mean, it, it you have to think about it. It's not a clear-cut answer once uh, Jamal Shedd and Marcus Sasser, uh, once you get past them, it's not a clear answer. Yeah, I do think uh, you bring up a good point. You know, Kyler can do some, I think, do some playmaking and ball handling um, if if they need it. You don't want him to be the, you know, 100% primary point guard. But, yeah, I think, yeah, there's still more there that he he can bring to this team that I think he hasn't shown as much yet. Let's talk football real quick. Rockets lead the Pacers early in the fourth quarter, 94-91. Chris, Cougs, football, Auburn, give me your thoughts on the matchup. Well, I think it's it's good, you know, it's good for them to be playing an SEC team. It's um, it should have them, you know, motivated and in, into the you know game prep, and um, it's a good you know a good opportunity to sort of build for for next year. Which I think you know mostly when you're in these kind of bowl games that aren't the. Um, you know, the big six um, are what these bowl games are about. It's more about next year. Um, do I do think, you know, Auburn's going to be a, a, you know, a tough opponent. They're going to, you know, want to, you know, end their year strong that they, um, they got to build for next year. You know, the SEC is, you know, you don't want to show any weakness and, 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 you know, another loss in a, in a bowl game would, would not go well for uh, Auburn. If Auburn lost to UVH, they would end the season six and seven, under five hundred. So that might be motivating factor because right now they're six and six. Um, <clears throat> looking at pregame stuff, they rank seventh. And I, I'm gonna do this and then get your thoughts on this about Marcus Jones. But Auburn ranks seventh nationally in block punts, three, twelfth in defensive touchdowns with three, fourteenth in tackles for loss, averaging 7.2, 24th in kickoff return defense, 18.33, and 25th in punt return defense, only giving up 4.12 yards per game. With Marcus Jones opting for the NFL, preparing for the draft, who assumes that all those roles, all those hats that Marcus you know, wore for the Cougs? And how big of a, a loss will it hurt the football team? I'll go for it. I guess you kind of slide in uh, Nathaniel Bell to have uh, a punt return, kick return uh, 
duties. I think the way it, it kind of uh, changes the way Houston plays, uh, or at least it favors Auburn, is they don't really have to worry about um, – well, they do have to worry about Nathan, though, because he's an explosive player. But I don't think you'll see the point where Auburn is kicking away uh, complete like on kickoffs, you would have teams kicking the completely opposite way for Marcus Jones to this, so he doesn't have a chance to to return, uh, whether it was kicks or punts. So I think they could kind of take it easy on that, at least in the beginning, and kind of force Nathaniel Bell or whoever's back there returning kicks to to show them that they have that same explosiveness. But I think that's really where it'll be impacted, where really it's not like kind of the advantage that a lot of teams uh, started giving Houston at the end of the season was that they, they were playing kickoffs completely different. That's something that'll go away um, when Marcus Jones not playing. Yeah, I think it's going to hurt them in the um, the secondary almost almost more. Um, and on, on defense, um, he's just such a key part. I don't think you can blame, you know, there any blame at all for, for Marcus Jones for making that decision. He, you gave them everything you had all all season. You know, you put you played hurt. Um, so I so I think you know you have, you have to just you know if you're a U of H, you have to just wish them the best and you know thanks for everything you did for you know the two years you were there. Um, but I you know I think it is gonna you know impact them you know almost more on defense. I think you know Nathaniel Dell is Andy said can do a good good enough job on uh, kicking you know punt returns with their blocking that. He can still be a threat for sure. He's not going to be, you know, Marcus Jones that can, you know, take a kickoff and, you know, win a game in the last yeah seconds likely. But um, that's where I think it's, you know, really could hurt them. Does Marcus, his decision to prepare for the NFL change your thoughts on how you're going to pick the game? Um, probably, probably not. I mean, uh, and not to give it away if we're going to do it later, but I was, <laughs> I was going to, um, I'm leaning towards Auburn anyways, but um, just because how the, the matchups are, but um, yeah, it's definitely, um, you know, you could say it's another factor for sure. Andy, does it change how you were leaning? No, I agree uh, with Chris where already it kind of felt like Houston was not a, to use the word disadvantage, but it would have been an uphill battle to, to have to beat Auburn, and it's just another, another thing going against them. And, and like uh, Chris mentioned, certainly on defense, uh, the impact will be felt, especially with uh, what Auburn has shown in the past. And Auburn is one of those teams where they've showed that they can – they have multiple ways of winning, like in that Alabama game where, like, it was a tough, hard-fought defensive battle. Then also they, it's an SEC team going up against – I know the American Athletic Conference, UH, dominated with their SAC Avenue and – what they were able to accomplish, but it's a whole different ball game having to go against an SEC offense. So Auburn's going to have a good chance to put up a lot of points in that ball game. So like Chris said, that, that'll certainly be a factor, but um, final outcome, I don't think so. Auburn's coming into the game on a four game losing streak. You know, of course that's SEC against, schedule. Yeah. They had the second toughest schedule this season in D one football. Uh, I'm picking Auburn, you know, I'd like for Juve to win the game as an alum. Football team finish on a high note, finish 12 and 2 rather than 11 and 3 on a two game losing streak. But we'll see. You know, no, it's, no I was going to say it's interesting that uh, the line, last I checked, it's actually kind of 
not changed too much, but it has favored, it has moved towards uh, Houston a little bit more now. Auburn's only favored by two and a half points. Then the the three point favorites there were uh, about a week ago. Chris, as, as we wind it down here, I want to get your thoughts on the possibility of the Division One football champion being determined because of COVID. Yeah, obviously you you hope it doesn't happen. Um, it's just you know it's just a crazy time. I know they've set out the the rules now that you know, what they're going to do. You know, if one of the teams can't play in the semifinals, and then if one can't play in the uh, championship game, I would I'd still be surprised if if those teams don't find a way to play, even if they're missing a, a player or two. Um, so I think it's going to be decided on the field, but. I mean, you you know, you can never say anything for certainty these days. We've learned that the last two years for sure. And get your take on this also. Do you think the American Athletic Conference, i.e. Mike Oresco, will modify their COVID cancellation slash forfeiture rules like other conferences have done this week rather than simply declaring if a basketball team doesn't have enough healthy student athletes to play with, you know, calling it a forfeit conferences this week have just decided to change that and declared it a no contest. And then hopefully reschedule it later on in the season. Do you think they'll change that modify? It? I think they will. I mean, um, it's just the way it's going and it's, I mean, no one, I mean, no one wants to, you know, I mean, I guess if you, some, you know, programs would be fine winning by forfeit, but no one really wants to win by, you know, forfeit even. Um, you want to be able to play the games, you know, that, you know, these guys are in on co college because they, you know, they want to be able to show off their skills and, you know, play the games. Um, I think they're going to, I mean, common sense would say that you should modify that uh, policy. And I think they're just, they'll fall in line with the other conferences that are doing it. All right, let's 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 wrap it up. Chris, you first. How can people find you on social media? Oh, you can. Um, well, social media is just uh, I'm much on Twitter at uh, Chris uh, Y Baldwin, and then uh, PaperCityMag.com is where you can uh, read all my stuff. I just, I want to do my thing again this week where I say like, if you send you know round ball review, you can you know see. I mean, I you can just get so many press conference on st stuff. I, you know, I go to a lot of things, but there's stuff I miss and you'll find it all up there. And, you know, Andy does a, uh, he wrote us, wrote a story today. Uh, you know, he's, he's like a big time real re uh, news reporter now, but he's also yeah. doing sports uh, <laughs> on the side still. So, um, and you know, he's always on Twitter, you know, breaking stuff or, uh, reporting on things. So these two guys, yeah. If you're a sports fan, it's like, you know, it's a good, uh, way to stay invo involved for sure appreciate that chris andy how can folks find you man uh, yeah they can follow me on twitter like scrolling down at the bottom of the screen at aonev underscore five be sure like uh chris mentioned uh had an article today um i've been able to enjoy a couple of weeks of ptl for my daytime my journalism job so uh, get to enjoy go back to to for really focus on on men's basketball and uh, Chris said, I mean, you break news too. You broke the Dejan Jerome news last uh, last night too that he was going to be signing with the Mavericks. So 
if you're a UH fan, you're the followers, of course, Joseph Duarte from the Chronicles on top of this stuff, too, and James Mueller, who's also become the unofficial uh, fourth host yeah. uh, for us. Um, give him a follow as well, but also be sure to check out Pod Slam and Jamma. That's P A W D Slam and Jamma for Dayon and I and a couple of other co hosts, um, you know, covering UH athletics, uh, beat mainly men's, women's, and football. So give us a follow. Yeah, for oh, I, yeah. I just want to say there's so many good s- sources now to sort of uh, get good UH stories and info, which is, incur- you know, I think encouraging to see because you know I came from Michigan State and I saw how like that, you know, major programs were covered. And when I first came to Houston, it didn't seem the you know same way. But I think there's been a definite difference. And you know, Chris has been there from the very beginning, but you know, he's seeing more and more in the last uh, few years from other outlets. Agree. The coverage has grown, and that, that's good to see. So, guys, thank you very much for, for joining me. I think all, all of us will be at, at Fertitta Center on – well, Chris, will you be there Tuesday? Uh, yeah, I, think I should be there Tuesday. Yeah. Okay, so all three of us will be at Fertitta for the conference opener for Houston and Cincinnati, uh, 7 p.m. on ESPN2. I think that's right. So we'll yeah. see who is healthy for U of H. We'll be there. Um, well, let me do it. I don't know if the other two guys will do it before I, I close out, but we got to do it. It's kind of tradition. Mm-hmm. Real quick update. Rockets are now behind Indiana, 104-97. Seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. Andy, do you want to guarantee U of H Auburn bowl prediction? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Hit it. I guarantee. Guarantee. Auburn's going to cover the spread at uh, two and a half, especially if it stays at two and a half. I, I see them winning by over. I'll take the over on that. Chris? Um, I Yeah, I think Auburn's going to win, but um, yeah, I, I, I'm not ready to. I just think college sure. athletics are too unpredictable. Maybe I just need more time to get used to the guarantee thing. But, um, you know, I mean, you know, Clayton Toon could have a, a great game, and you, you never know. Um, who's going to rise to the occasion or who's motivated or not in these, in these kind of bowl oh, I mean, situations. A, so. Yeah, that's a true point. What if Auburn doesn't care? You know, whatever it is yeah. like, yeah, you know, it's the bowl game we don't want to be in. So that's but that, that's a great point. Honestly, it could be a, an opportunity for Clayton Toon to kind of uh, shake off the two uh, bad games. You know, obviously the Texas Tech home opener where complete collapse in the second half and even against Cincinnati, and, and Bearcats did a good job of – uh, limiting the Houston offense once the, the third quarter hit. So it might be a motivated claim, too, to, to put together a full, complete game against one of these well, top-tier opponents. That's a good point. Despite all that, I'm still – Andy, it's my, I'm doing it, too. I guarantee Auburn's going to win the game at least by, at least by six. Spreads two and a half, three. I think they'll cover that in the win. So thank you very much. We're going to close it out. I'm Chris Gardner of Houston Round Bar Review. Thank you for people on Twitter at our Folks Talk Sports Twitter account for watching the show. Something new for us. Look for more of that in 2022. You can catch the show on Facebook and YouTube and now Twitter. So we're broadening the audience. So as always, Chris Baldwin, thank you very much. And Giannis, thank you very much. I'll see you guys December 28th at Fertitta Center for the basketball game. 
Go to the website, HoustonRoundBarReview.com, as well as Houston Review on YouTube for videos and interviews and all those great things. And I've lined up the board man. I'll be talking to Justin Gorham mm-hmm. in January. Some uh, We're aiming for the third, January 3rd. Talk to him again to see how he's doing so far um, overseas. I talked to him, I think, in November. His season had just started. So we'll get a little update from Justin about how things are going. So look for that on the YouTube channel in, what, that 10 days or so? So, guys, thank you very much. And see you on the 28th. Y'all take care. Exciting. Take care. Happy, happy holidays, everybody. You too. Happy sure. holidays, guys.